Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. You're done checking those emails, Kevin. I know. What's going I'm on like, over dear there? diary, dear diary. Once no, again, I'm trapped with Rob. I was looking up. W- I I knew that they just announced another show that was coming to the Broadway, and I was looking it up uh, so that we could talk about it. What was, was it? it? You don't. Well, remember? I know it was Angels in America is one of them that, yep. that is in fact transferring. But I thought there was a, n- a musical that was announced, but now I I honestly cannot remember for the life of me a new musical coming our way but um but john stamos will star in willy wonk in the chocolate factory in concert at the hollywood bowl i saw that with ingrid michaelson that's interesting and she's the making the rounds these days she is indeed and the kid from um stranger things which i'm obsessed with now oh you see you are watching that show yeah, i finally so did good. it's it really is fantastic oh it really is i think we were talking about this but i have a tendency kevin and i were asking how do we relax and I said, usually I put on an old television show right. that makes me feel, you know, warm and fuzzy and Aww. comfortable, like The Lucy Show. That's naturally. Um, or Here's Lucy. Murder, She Wrote. Or Lu- Oh, yeah. Always. That's a comfort. That is like comfort late night TV when you're like, I don't know what to watch. Murder, She Wrote. Oh, but what I love on Murder, She Wrote is that she brought in so many of her uh, former theater theatrical Tom Bosley. Colleagues. Hi, Tom. Oh, th- that's Fiorello. Yeah. That's, that's Mayor Cora Hoover exactly. Hooper and Mayor Fiorello H. LaGuardia. Exactly. Now, if they only had Frank Gorshin in there, uh, it would have been a Jimmy. It would have been three mayors. That's what we're really looking that's for. That's right. That's exactly Good right. Old Jimmy. Have you ever seen the episode where you can actually see her cue cards in the frame? No. Okay, so I don't know if they still have this on Netflix, but I'm going to send it out there for our listeners to take a look at. It's a Murder, She Wrote episode. It's where she goes to Universal Studios to solve a murder in the Psycho House. Of course. True story. And when she finds the guy who did it, there's that big confrontation scene at the end. You know what, where she's always like, I know you did it. And he like pulls out a gun and he's like, I well, wanna, yeah. no one's ever going to know now. Yeah, like and just as he points Scooby the Doo. gun. Yeah, yeah. very I Scooby-Doo. I would have gotten away with it for you major kids. And then Tom Bosley runs in right. and is like, I got everything under control <laughs> here, Mrs. Fletcher. Um, but in this one scene, you see the person holding the cue cards for her. The person? The person over the gentleman's shoulder, and you see the cue cards. Oh, my goodness. And I've been That's obsessed hysterical. with this. Now, when I go on to Netflix, that episode is still there, but they have cropped. No. So look for the two shot. Look for the shot with the two of them in the same shot, and they've cropped it out. But I think if you have it on the DVD, it might still be there. I, I hesitate to ask you what I'm going to ask you, so I don't think I will ask you. It was a question about... Working with her in a little night music, but I won't. I won't ask. No, you. go. Yeah, go. Were there any? Was there any assistance beyond no, her uh, own memory? That's a really. Um, so, Lansbury had done a couple other plays before Little Night Music. She had done Deuce. Yes. Um, she had done Blythe Spirit, and for both of those, she had assistance in her ear. And and by assistance, we should clarify as it's not like she had like a running track of the dialogue that was going on in her ear while this play was going on but what she had was an, a, a stage manager off stage uh, who's on book her name the lady who did it always was named mary mcleod who's a, a dancer oh. former dancer yes. and she was hired mary's now a per- stage manager in, in bro- uh, broadway shows but mary was hired for a little night music to do this exact same function so that uh, angela could have the earpiece on but um angela did not need it and so she was able to for the most part <laughs> memorize uh, the show effectively and um and she she didn't use it and she was very proud that she didn't have to use it um and so mary did not mary would be on book for her uh, th- during previews i think but really we never used it no never had to use it and so of course when stretch joined there was absolutely no way in hell that stretch was going to use that earpiece if 
Lansbury had not used it as well. But I will tell you, as many people know that saw Little Night Music in the second half of the run, that perhaps Stritch maybe could have used the earpiece because... Don't give it to me. She famously... Because we did have a prompter downstage left for the entire run, all the way to the end. And she definitely... Every, we would turn down the monitor during liaisons because it was so like she would get off and you couldn't function because all you would do was listen to like because it and some people like loved it some people went to see the show for stretch to be stretch in those moments but when you're on stage and someone goes up on a line it is like it is horrifying a little bit and uh, scary and kind of magical at the same time i think i can't believe i'm going to say this i think i'd rather have an actor with an earpiece than the consistent it's stopping tough, right of a and show. Then, and then it's like, well, then how do you, you know, the earpiece thing is a very delicate thing. Because think about it. You're you're on book. We have a relationship. Like, you know me very, very well. I'm the older octogenarian actor, let's say. And, and so I know you're there in my ear. But it's like you have to know how long a pause is so long for me, for you to know that I don't know my line. You know, oh or yeah. or am I just acting? Or mm. is it annoying? Uh, you know, so that's a really, it's an interesting thing that... Uh, I'd, I'd work out a signal where I just bash <laughs> my ear. <laughs> well, there's that famous story during Legends, sorry. But, uh, oh, yes, that's Legends, what I was just going to bring up. The James yes. Kirkwood play that I was my, one of my first favorite things. Mary Martin famously, this is the 80s, had an earpiece. But famously, do you, the story in the book where, like, Carol's, like, trying to talk to her. And Mary goes, What? And Carol says her line again, but really Mary was saying what to the person who was <laughs> speaking into her ear. She was like, what? And Carol then says, she's like, says her line. I said, go over to, the, you know, like, ooh, that's. I, I heard a story very similar. I don't think it was Mary Martin. It was somebody in the early 80s that they were just starting to use earpieces. But it kept, and it was at the Amundsen Theater in L.A. where oh, yeah. I think Legends also oh, got started. Yeah. And um, the Amundsen is somewhat close to where the airport is. Like you can, it's, oh. it's downtown LA. So planes would fly overhead. And originally what would happen is, is that the plane would fly overhead and the earpiece would pick up the cockpit. No way. So I can't remember what play, I feel like it was Detective Story or some like big melodrama. Okay. And like it was an old celebrated movie actor and his line was something along the lines of like, you know, and I know that Joe is the murderer. And he literally went, and I know Joe is the mor- murderer. We're coming in at a 45 degree angle. And everyone looked at him, and they tried to give him the next line. And he oh was like, gosh. we have high tailwinds coming out of the northeast. But flaps, but flaps, flaps, flaps left, flaps left, we're going down. But but fully committed, like fully committed to <laughs> like this. Like not even, th- oh, bless his little heart. And Elaine Stritch tells that really funny story in At Liberty when she was doing The Women, and there was a prompter. I can't remember who the actress was, who was behind the sofa, but they didn't tell any of the other actors that the prompter was going to be hidden behind the sofa. Yeah. So she crossed the stage behind the sofa and saw a woman laying on the floor, and she was like, "Jesus Christ!" Of course, and of course, Stritch, <laughs> always living in the moment, no matter what, would react to seeing a human being upstage on behind a couch. If she someone knew on was the floor. Be there. Wait, did you guys know someone's here? <laughs> totally, can totally see that. Oh, uh, good. Oh, age. Yes. And age. yet, but it all and hit yet, us all. age. I get it. Like, because you still want to work, you still want to. You know, do your thing, and and if if it's just a, a line here and there, and sometimes you don't even need the prompter, but it's just a security thing. But I, I you know, was didn't Al Pacino use it the last? Se- you know, yeah, th- Al Pacino used uh, it apparently for China Doll. Do you need it for um, that? I mean, if it's if oh, it's just like Bruce Willis used it for Misery. Yeah, see, I'm a little. I, who I, is that the to me is I don't want to say lazy, no. but it's like why can't you memorize your was show? It, was it if oh, you're of a certain age? God forgive me if this is right. Was it? Was it Forrest Whitaker and Huey 
they kept walking up to the water cooler and there was a prompter at the water cooler on set. I can't remember if it's him or not. I feel really bad. In a movie or? No, it was a play. play. I I think it, oh geez, I could be totally wrong. I could be totally wrong. I'll check it out. But but no, there was whoever, when they just did Huey, the actor kept walking to the water cooler. Yeah, I, I think we should and be there was ju- a prompter judicious there. with this magical device. But I'm okay. Listen, if it's an older actor, if it's totally. like 90-year-old you know, Betty White and they're going to put her in a show and she needs a little help, that's fine. Yeah, we want to see the, the legend on but stage. But when you're a young, strapping a young buck individual. Who has had roots in the stage before. You should not have to be relying on You know on Denzel Washington's not going to have one for Iceman Cometh. Oh, God, no. Or did Better Nathan not. Lane have one for Iceman oh, Cometh? Sh- no, of course not. You sit down and you do the work. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. Or maybe there's something else going on that I'm not aware mm-hmm. of. But I don't think we should be sacri- <sighs> I. But for older actors, it's weird. I'd rather them have the earpiece than... Than, like, flounder around on stage well, like I mean, poor Sweet Stritch did whenever... But but you then know. it got to be her thing. It got it, to well be, it it got by default because there was no other option. But literally, there was not a single show where she she you know, and, and I and it was charming and beautiful. Sure. and that was the way she was. But th- the fact of the matter is, there was not a single bur- bur- there's not a single show that she nailed every single lyric and and uh, no, nor why nor could you blame her. I mean, she's no. she was eighty five at the time, eighty six. You know, and it no, was, absolutely, and not. all those little scenelets are can be confusing. But um, but God bless the Fred, the um, you know, the Frederica and uh, <laughs> the Butler because they, by the end, she'd be like, "Where was I?" <laughs> Not even in liaisons, just in li- <laughs> that was her like go-to ad lib, or she didn't know where she was. And then the little Frederica would be like, "Grandma, weren't you going to tell me about why the summer night smiles three times?" <laughs> Shut up, kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, God. Get away from me. And then kid, she'd always be like, me. "That's right." I was like, you know, the audience will lose it. I mean, okay. Favorite things. Hi, I, everybody. I thought that was so cute, Kevin. You're going <laughs> away from me. You know, I'm okay. curious what what people what you what friends that are listening to us in your earbuds or in your car or wherever you may be. We're curious what your favorite thing is. I feel like we never ask everybody what what do you what's what's something that we haven't considered yet. We usually ask, but everyone usually says Broadway backstory or the ensemblist. As far as podcasts, <laughs> oh, <laughs> they go not you guys. It's like Patrick Hines. Yeah, that's, all right. That's, that's, yeah. And we just go, okay. That's a favorite thing. That's a, I would say Patrick is a favorite thing. Oh, yeah. And I would say the ensemblist is a favorite oh, thing. Oh, indeed. For sure. We I was lo- thinking like other people's items that they that they enjoy. You oh. know, like, like what's a book that you know out there? What's a clip, a YouTube clip that we haven't considered yet? That's oh, yeah, what I mean. Oh, yeah. We do get wonderful yeah. suggestions from yeah. a lot of our listeners, which is exciting. Keep them coming in. I know. Yeah. I would like to hear more of what yeah. you think. I what's re- your favorite things? I remember if you join Patreon, you can tell us <laughs> and we'll talk about it on one of the episodes. Because we are strapped for cash. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I'm not. Kevin was literally prostituting himself outside of McDonald's I this morning. Rob I saw just, sold his t- just sold his T-shirt to somebody. He's actually <laughs> not wearing a button-up for the first time ever. <gasps> I, know it, I, I feel really you. uncomfortable. I'm wearing, I'm wearring a He's T-shirt. He's actually wearing a, a, a T-shirt. I hate them. That's how he was going to meet Pat Birch today. Ugh. Oh, yeah. That's why we're doing an episode right yeah. now is because Pat Birch forgot that we had an interview today and she's coming tomorrow she's coming tomorrow we'll hear all about but it's not helen gallagher it's not, oh my Aww. god you know I have got you tried have you tried calling her well you know i got it so once you again, guys know that <laughs> we i'm just gonna i know this is like the this was the day we were gonna stop the avid, podcast, lis- avid the listeners i know avid listeners know that there was an ep- about a year ago we were so excited to go to the great broadway leading lady helen gallagher's apartment and we yep. did she's she's not even octogenarian she's yep. a what is it called a nonagenarian she's in her, in her 90s, 90s. Um, and we went to her apartment. We had such an amazing chat. It was so fun. She told us all about these great shows in the 50s and 60s. And it didn't record. 
So we called out our Helen Gallagher episode, but the problem is that we want to go back and talk to her again, but <laughs> if she remembers talking to us, she's going to be pissed. <laughs> um, this this killed me. <laughs> this was literally the day I looked at Kevin, because I'll, I'll tell you what happened. We, we The Helen Gallagher thing didn't work. We lost a wonderful interview, and it really was a wonderful interview. We lost a wonderful interview. Then we went over to Charles Strauss's house, didn't record there, so we had to re- literally record it on our iPhones. Um, and then we had a phone conversation with um, a guest who was very, who <laughs> was just rude to us. Was that Lee? Yes. Yeah. It yeah. was just very Like he was just a little, little sassy at us. And he at the was end, not the only time we've ever like gotten off an, uh, of an interview and been like, well, lost that one. Lost <laughs> that one. I'll, t- I'll tell you though, at the end of the day though, at the end of that day, I looked at Kevin and I'm like, we're not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. I was done. I was like, we are done. We are not doing this anymore. Um, but, um, we come back and we come back. We did. We came back. We stronger. learned a little more. We learned a little more. Like always have your iPhone ready to go oh. and try not to waste Helen Gallagher's time. But so question, have have we come back to Helen Gallagher? Yeah, we have a lot of people that keep, because we've mentioned it a few times, a lot of people who me- message us and say, can you go back and ask again? I'm going to be honest with you. I did call her a while ago and she's not returned my phone call. <laughs> um I didn't tell her why. I was just I just said, can we do a follow up interview in which the questions will be the same exact as the ones you've heard the first time? But this was in January, so maybe she forgot. Maybe she's forgotten some of the questions. But she was maybe great. We try again. Maybe she'll forget. I'll I'll, I'll give her another call and, and beg her. Oh God! It'll be like our quest for Helen. Our quest you for follow Gallagher. that quest. I'll follow that star. Oh well, happy to throwback her Upper Thursday, West Side apartment. My singer, my Barry Tenor, Barry Tenor, Robert. Um, hey, before we begin, my favorite things. Mm. We were. Can I? Can I tell you what just came out on Playbill? What did? Um, they release every year. the uh, The Educational Theater Association has revealed its annual list of the most produced full length plays, full length musicals in U.S. high schools. Oh, you love this list. I do. So I'm going to ask you, Kevin. We'll start with the plays really quickly because they gave us ten. What is the most produced play in I, high schools? I actually know this because someone was just talking about this the other day, and I can't remember where I was. It was but Peter Felicia, right? Because Peter, because he was talking about how John Cariani yeah. is like the w- richest actor on Broadway, not because of all of the most amazing work that this or this man does, but he wrote the play Almost Maine. He did, and Almost Maine is the number one full length play produced uh, at high schools. Um, you want to you want to guess number two, maybe, or uh, what else do you think might be on the list of ten? And and you can include like Shakespeare as well. It's oh, not just published stuff. I honestly stuff. really could not tell you. I almost mean uh, I know I'm familiar with, but I, for, I come from a high school that didn't even do plays in my high school. You did musicals. We, did, we only did one musical a year. That was it. Oh yeah, we only. So we yeah. had very. There was uh, so consequently. I that's why I know more about musicals than plays because I really just dug into musicals by default. Um, so I I couldn't even tell you. I don't think high schools are doing Doubt. I don't think not that they're there, doing no. all of the, the the big hits of the last season. Like they're not doing you know like the humans. No, but I'll tell. But here here's the list. Here's the ten. Ready? Number ten is Our Town. Oh no, yeah, classic. No, nine is Macbeth. Oh, um, nine is Macbeth. Eight is A Christmas Carol. Seven is Twelve Angry Jurors. Not, okay. Not Twelve Angry Men. Twelve Angry right. Jurors. So it can be um, both genders. Uh, Peter and the Starcatcher is at six. Oh. Alice in Wonderland is at five. Interesting. You Can't Take It With You uh, is yes. at number four. The Crucible is three. <laughs> and uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream is number two. Well, good for Shakespeare. Yeah, Getting good up for there. Shakespeare. Now, full length musicals. Uh, s- we have 10. Can you tell me what the number one most produced full length musical is uh, in high schools? Grease. It's Grease is on there, but it's number 10. Bye Bye Birdie. Uh, not on the list. Uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Not on the list. What? Think contemporary. These oh, are really contemporary. Adam's shows. family. 
Congrats. Seriously? Adam's Family is the number one produced full-length musical in high school. Because I'm just thinking, of course, it's it's the shows that are flashy and like that maybe weren't the biggest hits ever. No. But, uh, Hairspray's got to be on there. No, it's not. What? Not on there. It's Legally Blonde is not, definitely on not there. Not on there. Not what? on there. It's that Boy. I mean, Not that Boy. <laughs> no, listen to this list. So number 10 was Grease. Number 9 was Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, yes. 8 is Into the Woods. Ooh. 7 is The Wizard of Oz. 6 is Little Mermaid. Oh. Five is Cinderella. Four is Susicle. Susicle? Susicle, yeah. Susicle is yeah. number four? Number four. Of high schools in the country? Of high schools in the country. Number three is Shrek. Two is uh, Beauty and the Beast. And number one is The Addams Family. So very, very contemporary family friendly. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, wow, that's really interesting. I remember, I think when I was in high school, like, the, the number, it was usually, like, Bye Bye Birdie was up there and Once Upon a Mattress First was up I there. First show I ever saw, I believe, because yeah. I was going to see a high school production. Yeah. yeah. Um, but now it's the Adams Family, which is awesome. Congratulations well, is very, to Andrew Lippa for yeah. uh, But you make a, a good pretty penny when you get that done by, when you I'll, have the most high schools doing your, I your won't musical. Tell, I, won't tell me, I won't tell you who told me this story. Um, but I was in, I was talking to um, a very famous director of a musical, and the musical um, had a very fr- family friendly idea and flopped miserably on Broadway. And I said, um, and they were like, "Yeah, we knew there were problems in the rehearsal room and stuff, but we realized that the t- the name was so popular that it was going to flop on Broadway. Right. But we knew that it was going to make a lot of money uh, in the regional theater and in high schools." Little so Mermaid. <laughs> Please. It was. It was a, like a flop on Broadway. But I was, okay, so so no, it wasn't Little Mermaid, but I was talking to somebody who was involved with the Little Mermaid production, and I was saying, you must be excited about Frozen coming in. I said, because that's going to be a guaranteed moneymaker. And the person said to me, absolutely not. They said, ever since Little Mermaid, everyone at Disney is so incredibly cautious. Yeah. We thought that Little Mermaid was going to be a huge, gigantic hit, and it did not turn out to be so. Nope. Um, so they're a little bit more cautious mm-hmm. nowadays. Um, although they did invest in a very large investment in a um, remodeling the St. James Theater. Well, indeed. I, mean, I don't know if that's all them or if that's Jujamson or I don't know. I imagine there's a deal of some sort. Of course. You know? Of course. But because uh, Jujamson definitely gets the, the, the they, they get the, to walk away at the end with yeah. the theater that is so they're pushing back the the at back of the theater folks more is space that correct? Yeah. yeah so that a lot of these broadway theaters i know we've talked about i think with peter but these broadway theaters are are very tiny when you go on tour if you go on tour the theaters across the united states those old vaudeville theaters and those old, they're huge houses they're massive with big backstage you know spaces the theaters on broadway there's very little room backstage very little room in the wings very little room going upstage all the way so places like the st james had to uh, to get with the time so that bigger shows could use this big gargantuan house they have to make the stage actually bigger and i think that's a, one of the reasons that jordan roth was saying he did he said it wasn't so much for frozen but that uh, there were so many shows that wanted to come to the saint james but the backstage wasn't equipped Correct. properly so he said i don't want to keep losing shows because right. um, it's a big house it's, it's a huge house it's a huge house yeah oklahoma started so interesting that's really hey. interesting yeah. now we've talked about old people we've talked about young people and now we're going to talk about our favorite things so kevin Yay. what is your favorite thing to, for today i have a book <gasps> a book a book this is a book that i can't believe i never knew about if you fancy coloring books <laughs> and many people do i have a new one for you rob oh look at you tying in that lyric <laughs> uh so i discovered this writer because of one of my other previous favorite things Ooh. i talked about dorothy fields before 
uh, in that Dorothy Fields sort of biography, you know, uh, e exploration of her career by a woman named Deborah Grace Weiner, who was who just recently left the 42nd Street or the 92nd Street Y, oh yes. the lyricist and lyric series. Um, and she's definitely uh, she'd be someone that we should talk to at some point because she's been a definitely a champion of the history of musical theater. Indeed she has. Uh, she really has. And I she I am I'm sad to tell you that I did not know this until these favorite things that I these books that I found of hers. So this is a book that was published in 1993 and I would really love an update on it. But this book um, is basically our podcast. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there I'll get to that in a minute, but there's a couple reasons why it's, it's a really interesting book. But this, so this book is like what, 25 years old from 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 right now, uh, ish, and it's called "Sing Out, Louise: 150 Stars of the Musical Theater Remember 50 Years on Broadway." Oh yeah. So what this book is, it's so interesting. Now again, uh, the reason why I think it's interesting that it's in 1993 published is that because you're getting 50 years from 93 not right now so what she's able to do is she was able to talk to a lot of these older stars and legends that are no longer with us mm. but hear about what it was basically this book is like what was it like living in the golden age and what was it like to work in new york amazing but you get it from a first-hand perspective view from these performers writers producers directors who lived it at the time so um yeah so like i said it's, it is, is our podcast but in this other format because she interviews a lot of the same people that we have interviewed 25 years later Rob. Oh, really and the coolest thing about it is that we are here uh, some of the same stories that that we heard exactly from anita gillette from joan copeland from leroy reams many yes. stories from leroy from karen morrow they're all in this book oh and wow some of them tell the exact same stories that they told us which Amazing. i find actually very interesting and then a lot of them are completely different stories that we didn't even know about, about different, you know, we're going to talk to Carol Dimas today. She's mentioned prominently in this book. She, yeah. does, she does a lot. Um, so, yes, you get like a living account of the day-to-day -day life of a performer in the Golden Age. Um, there's another book that was published about mm, eight years ago called Making It on Broadway. Yes, Which I, I feel that. like essentially did the, does this. Jody Langell, I think is her name, uh, interviewed contemporary people, younger folk who are on Broadway and just what it was like. What's your routine? You go to the gym before the show, you know. But this is different than that. This is, this is people looking back on their careers and specific events that happened to them. Gwen Vernon, Barbara Cook, Carol Channing, Dorothy Loudon. Stritchy. They're all. They all have first-hand accounts uh, in this um, book. Um, sometimes it's straight first-person accounts, like it's quoted and they're just telling the story. Sometimes um, th they, Deborah. Oh, and by the way, that's co-written by um, a man named Dennis McGovern, just to give him full credit. Um, but sometimes they write. Uh, they they do commentary on what they're mm. talking about. So you'll get first-hand quotes. You'll get commentary, and then there's also fun things in the book that she always includes, like pictures of people, uh, letters that were written, uh, little notes that had you know. And so some of the chapters to give you an example of how this is organized is um, situations wanted, trying to get the work in theater. You know where people are trying to get the job. Then there's uh, losing the job. Carol Dimas talks about that with No No Nanette. Uh, and then stars are people too. How the stars, uh, the stories of how these some of these stars like Catherine Hepburn and Coco, you know, uh, their trials and tribulations making them human. Uh, closing too soon, uh, a chapter about like Sadie Thompson and other shows that were perhaps didn't get the the chance that they deserved uh so anyway it, it's i read it on vacation and it, i was done in three hours or so because it was just such an easy read and and really fun to hear um some stories that perhaps have not always been told i have never read the book 
and now I'm going to pick up to a you. copy. Yeah. Oh, thank it's you. It's fun, and it hasn't been, I don't think to my knowledge, it has been republished or anything like or that. Updated or updated or anything, or anything. Yeah. I don't think, it, I think it's just, you got to get that original 1993 uh, published copy of Sing Out Louise, 150 stars of the musical theater, remember 50 years on the Broadway. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm going to really, go pick it up. Really fun, really fun book. She writes, she writes good stuff, and I, I think that uh, it, uh, the work that Deborah Grace Weiner is doing for musical theater is really commendable, so thank you. I've never met you, Deborah, but I thank you. Thank you. Deborah, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if any of the stories told in the book differ from what we were told on air. Pretty much spot on. Really? Like, I mean, f- what we have discovered is that legends oftentimes have like their roster of stories that they are. Yes. I mean, already, I mean, we're only in our 30s, but we have, I have stories that I, I've probably told one too many times on this podcast. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that we have our go-tos. And I think some of these, especially with Leroy and, and um, Anita, they were their go-to stories. But it was, I thought, thought it was really fun to hear it said a different way or you know to i i have not realized that the art of storytelling is really an art because we've sat down with some people um jim brochu anita gillette leroy reams just to name a few are individuals where the story that they tell which if you and i were telling a story of something that happened in our own personal lives it would be filled with ums and ahs and 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 misinformation and maybe mispronunciations they have orchestrated their anecdotes in a way that I've never seen anyone else do before. You can tell they've refined them over the years yes. and, and figured out the the best way to communicate them and to get to the good stuff, the punchlines, the stories you know. to dine out on. It's true. You know? There there are set stories that I think people are, are that they know that other people want to hear, you know. But I mean it's almost but it's memorized. There are a few yeah. of them that the, the, I've heard the story 90 million times or I'll overhear them telling the story 90 million times and they choke up in the same place yep. and they wipe a tear away in oh the yeah. same place. It's, it's, I don't know if it's calculated. I don't know what it is, but I find it so absolutely fascinating. And you're I'm right, hoping Bob, you're right. that when we get to be that age that we will uh, be able to be as articulate storytellers as they are. I hope so. Maybe yeah. diversify the portfolio and have many different stories to tell. Yes, <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> Fingers crossed. We got we to gotta live more life. We got to live All more right, life. Let's go. Let's okay. Get. Bye. I'm out of here. When are you leaving me? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You're going to um, go into the building across the street oh, that's being constructed? Our that we've been watching, this building across the way, we've been watching it um, go up since we started doing interviews in this Shetler studio over a year ago. And now the there's no blue sky. It's just building. I feel like the building is sort of a metaphor for our podcast, which is when on the first day we came in, it was just an empty, Aww, barren field. That's sweet. And as we've climbed higher and higher in our success on this podcast, the building is getting higher and higher and more stable and more solidified. <laughs> You're cracking me up today in this podcast. Now, listeners, we I heard from a lot of you that you could tell when Rob and I were back in the same room together for the last couple po- episodes. Yes. You were very excited about that. Yes. I have to tell you, if you can tell that Rob's Rob has like an NPR feel to him today because he's listening to us talk with headphones on. But so I'm looking at him. He's got headphones on, but I don't. I'm just talking like into my microphone. But every time I'm like loud and obnoxious and Rob is like very like, hello. It's because you hear your voice in the um, headphones, the cans, as they say. Uh, I'm wearing my cans today. Mm. Uh, They're really lovely. Let's go and talk to Ashnaki Babafi to tell us a little bit about what's going on in Washington, D.C. 
You like What's that? What's that old lady that always does all the news in Washington? She has her own show, the Diane Ream, where she's oh, he's hey, hey, I got that rock. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? The Diane Ream show? Please tell me you do. I, I've never. I'm not I've, making fun of her. I've well, never actually, heard I am, but <laughs> it's I'm full on making fun of her. And it's, but she does. She sounds so old. No, Kevin, singling out someone's voice for being idiosyncratic is not making fun <laughs> of someone. A combination of Diane Ream, Kevin Hurtburn, and Bob K. <laughs> You're so pretty. Kevin is laughing. Kevin did an impression today, and he's so proud of himself. <laughs> I'm always waiting for Kevin to bust oh out an God, impression. What's your favorite thing, Rob? Well, my favorite thing is, uh, oh, I, I feel like I should do it in the NPR voice, but I'll get annoying after a no, while. No, it's good. I love it. My favorite thing <laughs> is to uh, go home and uh, curl up in a warm blanket and uh, read a nice book on oh, yeah. liberal guilt. Oh, and then yeah. I, I flagellate myself oh, um, exciting. while watching images of Rachel Maddow and Hillary Clinton on MSNBC. That sounds like one of the most exciting things I've ever heard in my entire life. Thank you very much. And then I like to read a nice article by the New York Times and have a nice vegan meal from Blue Apron. It's thrilling. And then I think about all the people in the world who have less than me. I don't do anything, but I like to think about <laughs> it. Is that, that, is good. that, that it? Is good, that I it? Think, yeah. No, my if anyone's still listening, I'm excited. I'm sure you're excited to hear what Rob's favorite thing is. <laughs> Literally mm-hmm. making room on their app for the ensemblist right now. They're just getting rid of us. <laughs> Sorry, guys. And we're not uh, even wasted like Broadway wasted are. I wish we could be wasted like Broadway oh, wasted. They have such fun over they there. Do have, and they I play games and stuff. I love all the podcasts. I do too. I do. I, I really do. Somebody asked me, they're like, oh, do you, do you have a favorite? And I'm like, no, because what I love about all the podcasts that are in the theater community is each of them offers something so uniquely different. What we do versus Broadway wasted versus the ensemblist versus Patrick Hines, it's all so different and it's so wonderful and i keep thinking when we were wouldn't it have been wonderful if we had podcasts like that when we were growing up don't even get me started rob wouldn't that have been great no yes are you kidding me can you imagine like an ensemblist episode about like the group from titanic or you know like broadway backstory where you know patrick had people still alive from like the original guys and dolls the cast of floyd collins went on broadway wasted cast of violet i would die i would just listen to that episode over and over and over oh, again me too me me too oh oh well <laughs> let's get on our time machines but we're so appreciative of all the great work that all the podcasts yeah. do we love them all it's true and all of them love me <laughs> and the system works okay okay great that's i'm done with my chicago drop some roses all right, Rob, i what know is it? people are asking for new theme songs but i'm not going to give you a new theme song because i really love tennessee ernie ford singing to us okay so what do we have here um so continue on, continuing on, a continuation from last week's favorite thing. If oh, you remember, yes. we were talking about, don't be too excited now. We were talking about uh, a list. Peter, f- <laughs> sorry, Kevin, I can't. <laughs> we can't all bow at the altar of Deborah Grace Weiner every week. <laughs> Go ahead. We're going to read like her recipes Go next. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, Deborah Grace Weiner makes a pot roast, which is pretty amazing. Let me read you the recipe right now. Here we go. Here we go. Um, no, so you, you were reading a list of the... So anyway, we were talking about was about 20 years ago, the great Peter Felicia, who we've had on the show many times, wrote a list saying what he thought the 100 greatest musical episodes in musical theater was. At the time, he was inspired by TV Guide. They wrote like the 100 best episodes in sitcom or television history. Um, and so he did the same thing. So last week we did part one, which was 100 through 50. And now I'm going to give you 50 through number one. And read through that list. Here we go. Let me ask you, Kevin, what do you think is on number one? What do you think is the number one greatest musical theater moment that Peter Felicia suggests? 
all before of the year 1998. Yeah, so you can't really that, go. Yeah. You can't really go into the 2000s. So, what was the greatest musical theater moment? I'm I'm gonna guess perhaps Curly singing off stage at the opening of Oklahoma might be on there. Okay, so Kevin is saying that the it's gonna be Curly's off stage singing in Oklahoma, which we I'm have not give seen. That the top in musical theater Ten before. Or top five at least. Okay, here we go. 50 is the Sadie Hawkins Ballet from Little Abner. 49 is when I'm not near the girl I love from Finian's Rainbow. Um, 48, a little girl from Little Rock. Then I'm still here. Brush up your Shakespeare. And I'm telling you I'm not going. Slaughter on 10th Avenue. You got trouble. The Quintet from West Side Story. Brotherhood of Man. Who Wouldn't Dance With You from Grand Hotel. That's at 40. Going into the 30s now, 39 on a Sunday by the Sea from High Button Shoes, oh. right? Wow! Right, I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair. When a when a shopper says from the Rothschilds, "Sit huh. down, you're rocking the boat." Everybody ought to have a maid. Vilcomen, 33. I thought was interesting. It's intermission from a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Pseudolus's death-defying first act ending. That's the last word we hear at the end of Act One of a funny thing happened on the way okay. to the forum, which is pretty clever. Um, the bench scene from Carousel. Oh yeah, classic. Mame and Mame. Number thirty is I'm the greatest star. Twenty-nine, Miss Marmelstein. Bess, you is my woman now. We'll take a glass together. Once in love with Amy. Twenty-five is Lori makes up her mind from Oklahoma. Twenty-four is the Adelaide's Dream Ballet. The Dream Ballet. Twenty-four is Adelaide's Lament. Twenty-three is Comedy Tonight. Twenty-one is Tomorrow. Oh, sorry, twenty-two is Tomorrow from Annie. Twenty-one is I'm an Ordinary Man. Number twenty is Beautiful Girls from Follies. We're going into the teens here. Nineteen. <gasps> Oh, what a beautiful morning from oh, Oklahoma at 19. I'm off. Old Man River at 18. I'm flying from Peter Pan at 17. Oh, yeah. Dance at the Gym from West Side Story is 16. Wait, have we, we, have we done um, the, tele, the telephone thing from Bye Bye Birdie? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. All right. 15 is the Act 1 finale of The Music Man. Mm. 14, The Rain in Spain from My Fair Lady. 13, I'm Going Back from Bells Are Ringing. Number 12. Is it was that what was that sound? What was that I sound? I was just a little surprised of all the songs from Bells Are Ringing. I I don't know. It's the party's over. It could have been on there. It could have been just in time. It could have been. Um, it you know. He could have. He now he gives little justifications okay. for each of these. I just chose not to read them. But for for, for I'm going back. He says the <laughs> ultimate eleven o'clock number. And to think they didn't have it when they went out of town. Wow. Yeah, okay. So maybe that's why. Yeah, that's eleven o'clock uh, number. Twelve is old fashioned wedding from Annie. Get your gun. Ah yes. Eleven is Hello Dolly from Hello Dolly. Now here we are. The last. 10. Oh, I'm the bottom roll. 10. I'm fascinated okay. by these. Number 10 uh, is June 28th through July 4th in 1776. And he says, just as you're thinking that there is no United States of America and they're breaking the news to us in a palatable way as possible, i.e. through a musical, the book makes the impossible seem suddenly possible. Wow. And that is true. If you watch the end of 1776, mm. you are glued to the edge of your seat, but you know perfectly well that they're going to sign. I love 1776. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty. Yeah. I was gonna say pretty fucking amazing. It I, is. I well, really the movie actually is very close to the stage version. That's very, very close. rare. Anyway, very close. keep going. Uh, number nine is "Can't Help Loving That Man" from Showboat. Ah, yes. Eight is "Everything's Coming Up Roses" from Gypsy. Of course. Seven is "All I Need Is the Girl" from Gypsy. Huh. Um, and he says Louise is so smitten with Tulsa that she can't help join the number. How happy we are that she's finally getting some appreciation. How devastated we'll be in the scene that follows. That's true. Which is actually very brilliant. I mean, I think the Book of Gypsy is perfection. It's, it's perfect just perfection. Uh, number six is Do Re Mi from Sound of Music. Mm. Number five is Rose's Turn from Gypsy. So here we are. Four, three, two, and one. Number All four. Right. Olive Stanton stands up and sings. This is from The Cradle Will Rock. 
Okay. Um, so they had Stanton, um, you know, get up right. and say, so this is what he's, you know, the, the moment in Cradle right. of Rock when, uh, if you, anyway, if you don't know what we're talking about, take a look at the, um, the movie, the movie, which is fabulous yeah. about the Cradle of Rock experience. Mm-hmm. Three, two, and one. Okay. Right. So, um, now that we know that, that what you guessed was not no, on the not top three, close. what do you think might be number one? Bye Bye Birdie. Something from Bye Bye Birdie. The, the telephone hour. Yeah, Which probably. is pretty brilliant. Okay. Gower Champion. Number three. Or 42nd Street. Something in 42nd okay. Street. Okay. Number three. Who's that woman from Follies? Oh, wow. Both aged and young dancers show their big number. Number two. The Small House of Uncle Tom from The King and of I. Of course. Number one. I'll read the description, and then you can tell me if you know what he's talking about, okay? The description is, Every emotion a new father can have is right here, set to a stirring melody that turns tender on a dime. Every emotion a new father can have is right here. And the song is, it's a song. Number one greatest musical theater episode, according to Peter Felicia. Uh, I, I I don't... Soliloquy. Oh, of course. Soliloquy from Carousel, wow. he thinks, is the number one greatest musical theater episode. Wow. How exciting is that? That is good. So it's a great list. So anyway, one of the reasons that I keep bringing it up is because I keep, and I mentioned this in the last podcast, the, the list was so influential for me because as I was growing up, and I didn't have a lot of musical theater history at my fingertips, I would look at the list, and if there was a show I did not know, I would go out and research the show so I knew exactly what he was talking about. Um, but the list is 20 years old now at this point, so what other moments from the past 20 years mm-hmm. would appear on that list? And I'm also surprised that the telephone hour was not on the list because I think that is brilliant staging. Oh, yeah. But I'm trying to think from like the next, from the past 20 years, what would you have put on there. Well, I know a moment that I will always remember is that in that Deaf West production of Big River mm. in 2003. Mm. I will always remember um, my, one of such a great actor, Michael McElroy, putting his hand out, and um, when um, Huck puts his hand on his to show the raft, it's this b- huge, big, beautiful black hand, and then his little white fingers on top as like the thing, and that, and then them moving their hands like as if it's a raft. I thought that was like oh, that's brilliant. Thing. And then also in the, in that same production. I'd probably say that production, but that moment where I'm waiting for the light to shine, I will never forget. Did anyone see this when they're like, because si- the, the whole thing with this production was that it was in sign language and sung. You, it was simultaneous languages going on at the same time. And then there was that moment where they're like a big climax of the song and the final chorus. And all of a sudden the music and everyone stopped and all they just, it gives me the chills right now, it chokes me up. Mm. And they just signed it and, the, and that whole auditorium was completely silent and all you could hear was their movements. And then they kind of, it was like the most beautiful, it was so stunning. It was That's so incredible. So that, that, that was a moment um, just specifically. But I'm sure there's like, obviously there's like parade and there's like ragtime and there's Once in this Island and I mean there's so many great what was something you would say right off the bat? Well, you know, it's it's so funny. I was just I was just <laughs> thinking that like, what are you laughing at? Because <laughs> it's like, <laughs> is it the headphones? No, 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 I'm just thinking. It just sounds so like you sound so like NPR. I'm telling you, I didn't sleep a lot last <laughs> night, so I'm a little I'm a little sluggish today. I'm a little no, sluggish. You're, um, you're fine. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm so sorry. News from Washington. Oh my God! Don't do uh, it again. Donald and Melania Trump oh, will Jesus be starring Christ. in the Kennedy Center production of The Music Man. Donald will play Harold Hill. Don't even. I don't. I don't want to. Don't even want to talk about him on this. Melania will be a trombone. I don't want to talk about her either. Okay. Up next, <laughs> um, where was I? Oh, um, you know what's so funny is a lot of the moments I was thinking of, 
actually are off Broadway. Like I think, um, and I don't, I don't think that qualified for Peter's List. I think it True. had to be a Broadway show. But like for example, an off Broadway, the idea, uh, I think somewhere that's green, from Little Shop, mm-hmm. I think is such a stirring moment. I think that when. Uh, uh, Jamie and Kathy meet for the first time or sing together for the first time in the last five years is pretty yeah. magical. Uh, I'm sure you have moments from Violet. Oh, of course. Um, Hairspray, I think, um, I think Timeless to me. Yeah, I love Timeless. Or, yeah. or Good Morning Baltimore, I think, is, is one of the best opening numbers. Oh, Agreed. Betrayed in the Producers. Oh, yeah. Eartha uh, Kitt in Wild Party. Eartha Kitt's performance in Wild Party. Um, I'm trying to think of what other things from the past. Oh, falsettos, of course. Oh, Some things falsettos. from March of the Falsettos. Uh, you know. Hamilton, I think the mm-hmm. the wedding, the whole wedding montage in mm-hmm. Hamilton, I think, is just absolutely breathtaking. Ring oh of yeah. Keys from Fun Home, I think, would have to be in there oh somewhere. Yeah, um, what else are we forgetting, folks? Light in the Piazza. Light in the Piazza. Was oh, epic. my God, yes. The moments in that score that are just so special. Um, the final countdown in... Um, uh, spelling Bee, when mm-hmm. it comes down to the last two competitors, yeah. I think is a pretty brilliant moment in musical yeah. theater history because you're so invested at that point in the characters. Um, I believe from Book of Mormon, I think is hysterical and and great. Mill- we, I mean, think of these shows. Millie, mm-hmm. um, uh, Billy Elliot mm-hmm. when he dances for the first time. There's, I mean, there's so many great mm-hmm. moments in musical theater in the past twenty years. So I'm hoping that Peter will. Uh, oh, Ragtime! There was nothing from the opening oh, from Ragtime alone. Just anything from yeah. Ragtime. My God. Um, so there's so many things on there that I hope that Peter will come back and revise the list and yeah give us the next uh, the next few years or so that we've we've missed out on. I know that's um, fun. But that was great. That Good. was awesome. So so once again, it's I was concluding Peter Felicia's greatest 100 musical episodes and Kevin. I'd sing out Louise, a good book by Deborah Grace Weiner and Dennis McGovern. All right, till next time. Bye everybody. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.